Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And this week on the podcast, I chat with Chris Green, the man behind the new Paul Weller-inspired mod-themed heartwarming film, The Pebble and the Boy, which opens in cinemas across the UK and Ireland this Friday, 27th of August. Go to facebook.com forward slash pebble and the boy for all the details, showtime, cinemas near you. And for our international listeners, yes, all five of you, you can find out details on when it will arrive near you. So let's get into it. Chris Green, thanks for joining me. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me, mate. I feel um, I feel really privileged <laughs> to be invited on. You're in pretty good company, right? You've, you've seen some of the previous guests. Yes, I have. Well, I've heard them. Nicky, Trevor, people like that. A little bit daunted, actually, mate. <laughs> oh, bless be gentle you. with me, won't you? <laughs> I'll lay off the Paxman-like questions. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Look, we need to kick off with when you first fell in love with the music of Paul Weller, because I'm guessing it was the jam. It was, yeah. I was thinking about this, obviously thinking about speaking to you today, and I can't pinpoint exactly, but I think going underground, when that hit number one was when I first became aware of the jam. I would have been 13. Don't think I rushed out and bought it, but I was very aware of who they were. Very aware of the older kids in school as well, the year above me, who were mods. Some of them were really, really smart guys in the year above. And I started hanging around with them, I think partly because the fact that they had Parkers with the jam on the back. Got myself in with them, started hanging around with them. Um, got myself a parker, got the badges. Yeah, so I was a bit late to the party with the jam because I was a bit younger than the rest of the lads. But once I was in, yeah, I was in. And it was everything from the look and feel of it to the music, the sound of the band. But the look of the band was so important. And the, the people who followed the band, you know, everybody fell into that as well, didn't they? They did. And I think that was the first time that I discovered any sort of like semblance of style. I think before that, my mum had just bought me my clothes and I wore whatever was, you know, put out in front of me or I was told to wear. But then, you know, I wanted a Slazinger V-neck jumper. 
I wanted a button-down shirt. I wanted the mod tie. I wanted the Arrington jacket. Proper went for it. But I'll tell you one thing that I must confess is that the older boys had the real nice, like, M51 military parkers. I couldn't afford one of them. So I had a green parker, but it had, you know, the red kids line in <laughs> that I bought from, for a tenner off a, a kid at school. And so I, I tended to keep it zipped up so no one could actually see the line in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and once you're in, you're in then. So does it become like a big passion point for you, the music of the band and, and that look? Yeah, absolutely. I was a bit of a poor relation, like I say, but I did start buying buying the stuff, bought a pair of jam shoes, you know, the black and whites, but it had Blakey's on the heel. So I was embarrassed walking down the street because everyone would stop and turn because they could see me come in. <laughs> I remember going in the local chippy with the tile floor and as I walked in, everyone, it was like clap, 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 clap. <laughs> and everyone turned around and I must have just like, you know, blushed red. Fred Astaire's, yeah. <laughs> Fred Astaire's just <laughs> tapped his way in looking for fish and chips. But yeah, that was it. I was in and I think uh, a year later, 81, I went to my first ever gig. It was a jam gig uh, at Bingley, Stafford Bingley Hall with all the older lads and the coaches used to leave from A-Town Street in Manchester. So I was allowed to go. I think I was 14 by then. I had a four-pack can of uh, cans of uh, whatever it was, Skull. Got on the coach with all the older boys and felt like a, it's that coming of age and ridiculously excited. Now, I was too young. So I'd have been around, what, six yeah, six at that point. You're talking about six. Right. Clearly too young to go to a jam gig. But having watched the videos, and I've been in a well and mosh pit many a time since, and um, you know, there are times when those are pretty terrifying events. But when you look at the jam gigs, man, they're pretty full on, aren't they? It was, yeah. It was. It was full on. We went to, We went in. Some of the older lads pushed us through. I'd, I wouldn't say we wouldn't claim to be anywhere near the stage, but maybe 15, 20 yards back. And then when they came on, I can't remember what, but you know, when, when songs like Strange Sound and Going Underground, just pogoing nonstop, elbows in the face, just visceral almost, you know, no one wanting to hurt anybody, but just this explosion of passion and desire and, you know, letting it all out and able to sing instead of being in your bedroom and singing and getting shouted at, just really let yourself go. And I remember that to that gig, I wore a button down shirt, a tie, an Arrington jacket and a parka. So literally half an hour into the gig, I was just out on my feet, sweating <laughs> profusely, dizzy, lightheaded. But yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it. And I'll, a mate of ours came to the gig. He wasn't a massive jam fan, but he, he liked some of the stuff. I don't know what happened during the gig. It went a bit quiet and they were doing swapping guitars over. And Paul said, any requests? And people were shouting, you know, tube station, this, that, and it all went quiet. And my, and my mate meant to shout, that's entertainment. And he shouted, that's education. They all just went quiet and we all just looked at him and was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, but the thing is, not soon after, so, so you, you discover this band that you then love, not soon after, it's game over, it's all done. Absolutely, yeah. Because I came late to the party, 81 was the first time I saw them, saw them twice in 82 at the Apollo. Then, yeah, you know, pulled the plug, you know, and I was gutted. December 82, I was devastated, like all my mates. But then six months later, Speak Like a Child came out and it was all right again. It was all good. You loved the Star Council. You loved everything about them too, yeah? Well, I remember we, in our common room at school when the chart was coming out, and it's as though everyone wanted to hate it. We're jam fans, you know, we're loyal to the jam. We're not going to be into Weller and the Star Council. And I was like, yeah, yeah. 
Who's the style council? What's all this about? It'll be rubbish. As soon as I heard it, my heart swelled and I was just like, wow. And the video, it looks amazing. It looks so cool. Yeah, that was it. I was off again on another journey, but this one right from the start, which was great. I felt like I belonged a little bit more then. We should dig into your film because I've had a sneak preview in it and it's lovely. So, Hell of the Boy, written and directed by yourself. And the love of Weller, the jam, the Star Council floods throughout the entire film. And we'll dip into the story of how you've come about making this film and then touch on points in terms of the jam and the Star Council as well. But when did you first get the idea of creating something like this? It sounds a bit of a cliche, but it's when I met Paul after a gig in Cork, uh, 2009. I'd, I'd been writing for about nine years then. I'd done some little bob, bits and bobs to for TV, for Channel 4 and Sky. Um, and there's that old adage in writing, you know, write what you know. Me and my wife went to see Paul in Cork at this, like, marquee. It was a great gig. And the very next morning, we were at the airport, and I said to my wife, do you know what? I've got this real feeling that I'm going to meet Paul. And she was like, oh, yeah, whatever. She said, look, once he'd have got up early and gone. Two, he'll be in a different part of the airport. He won't be mingling with the likes of you. She went off to Marks and Spencer's to buy a sandwich and I was sat there and I had my phone out. I just really had this feeling, Dan, honestly, that I was going to see him. Like something out of an American movie, he, he turned the corner and coming walking towards me and he looked absolutely on point. His hair was perfect. He was dressed impeccably and it was like slow motion and... I don't get nervous in front of people that I admire. Like, I've worked with loads of, you know, biggish name actors and stuff like that. And I don't, but I, I went over to him and he had his back to me. He was getting a bottle of water. And what I meant to say was, Paul, that was a great gig last night. But it came out, <laughs> thanks for last night. Yeah. I was like, and it just came. And he just turned around and went, I'm going red, just thinking about it. <laughs> Brilliant. And he said, oh, yeah, not a problem. I said, could I get a photo with you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem, mate. So I took what is the worst selfie in history. Honestly, Dan, I'll send it to you. It's yeah, literally <laughs> half of Paul's face and my ear. And that's all you can see of me. It's just like my ear and maybe a little bit of my eye. And I looked at it and I went, oh, it's not the best. And he went, no, it's not the best, mate. And then I looked up and my wife was stood there and she was like frozen. So I threw the phone to my wife. And she went, what are you giving it me for? So she's holding it. Her hands are shaking. By this time, a crowd is starting to gather. And she took another photo, which was tons better than mine. And then I thought, you know, don't, don't take advantage. Just said, thanks, Paul, for your time. Appreciate it. And off he went. So then I'm sat on the plane flying back over to Manchester and I just started to develop this idea similar to your podcast it was called Finding Paul that was the name of the story and it was about a kid discovering his dad and his dad's obviously not Paul Weller but that was the sort of like intent you know that his dad was like Weller and he was cool and and that was the that was the basis of the story and then by the time I'd landed I was already scribbling notes and um, sent it off to a producer friend of mine who who said that they liked it and would like to see a script and that was, you know, that was middle of 2009. We developed the script. He got an outline to Paul at the time, asked me to do a one-page outline to see if Paul was supportive. And I think by support at that stage, it was that he didn't hate it. Yeah. And we counted that as support. But it, it came back that he liked the idea and he was supportive and we just didn't know what that meant at the time. And this producer got so close to getting the film made at a really big budget level and he was really excited. And then it all just faded away. 
you know, we were doing this for like two or three years and then the producer went off to be a football agent. So I was left sat there with this script, didn't really know what to do with it. Then I started making other films and then I'm directing a film uh, and making short films, won a couple of awards and stuff like that. And then I just went back to it and I thought, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do another mod film. You know, it's however many years since Quadrophenia, you know, get it done. So just blindly just wandered into raising the money and making it. Well, we'll come on to the, the raising the money is great because I think also the amount of fans who, who joined you along this, you know, for this journey to make this happen. But um, it's essentially the story of uh, this lad, John Parker, who's 19 from Manchester, embarks on a journey to Brighton, um, the spiritual home of the mods and the discovery of this um, this Lambretta scooter that's left to him by his dad. Yeah. And you can feel all the way through it. You talk about the mod culture and, and, and we talked about the fashion earlier. It does feel like a, a love letter to to that that world in a way but it but also importantly features the music of paul and the jam as well so you know kicks off five minutes into the film and we're bang we're straight into saturday's kids so he's wandered into his dad's man cave you know to to feel closer to his dad you know he's got the weller posters on the wall the jam star council loads of scooter pictures and stuff yeah and because this kid doesn't know what it is to be a mod literally sits there reading the a to z of mods (laughs) and we can sense in that scene that he's starting to think oh this is exciting you know he's reading about you know Brighton and Eastbourne and 1964 and mods versus rockers and we get a sense that he's like oh I'm up for this yeah. I'd like to find out a little bit more yeah and that and we and we set the film up that that he wants to go and find that but of course it's a modern day so you're not going to find that you're not going to end up brawling with some leather clad rocker outside a pub in Brighton but you know we do play with that theme because he does meet a group of rockers and we have those funny little scenes where he's nervous of them because he's got his dad's parker on and he thinks bad things are going to happen and they just think he's he's really this funny little kid you know on this journey well the view talk about funny I mean there's lots of humour in it one one bit being the, the Lambretta I've seen these but on pictures but never seen one in the flesh where you've got all the little rear view mirrors all over yeah, the yeah. thing did you have one of these as a youngster no we, we didn't have one um and I, I must admit, selfishly, I, I wrote this film, film thinking, do you know what? If we get one as part of the production, I'll keep it. And I have, you know, oh, it's in the main garage at the moment. I, we originally bought the wrong scooter. I bought a, an LI-150 and then discovered that the film insurance wouldn't cover our young actor to, to ride it. So I had to sell that one. And a real nice guy called Ian Dignam bought it off us. And then I went out and bought the LI-125, which you see in the film, off a lovely uh, mod called Ronnie Hurst. You know, I think he had tears in his eyes when he parted with it. He said, look after her. I said, mate, in two days' time, this is this skewer's getting trashed on Brighton Beach. And he was like, no. <laughs> and I always remember when we when we shot the scenes on Brighton Beach where it get the, the scooter gets trashed, that people on the Facebook page went mental. You can't treat her like that. How dare you? It was like, whoa, whoa. It's a film, guys. You know, it's a film. Uh, but it, yeah, it got a bit of a bash in. But yeah, it's a lovely scooter. Absolute swine to ride. You know, I've, I've ridden scooters and that one is is very temperamental. And our, our lead actor, Patrick McNee, had his work cut out with that. Did it have all the mirrors on it when it, he bought it? Yeah, when it yeah. came like that. So, and, and so we, the first time we, 
we unleashed her was in Brighton because we shot the Brighton stuff before we shot the Manchester stuff. So we wheeled out the van. It was beautiful summer 2018. All the mods were there, South Coast mods and North Lane mods who agreed to come down and, you know, be extras. And then I pulled out a hammer and started smashing the mirrors in because at the start of the story, when he inherits the scooter off his dad, you know, it's been in an accident. Honestly, grown men were like, what are you doing? How do you do? But yeah, it's still like that. Um, it still looks like it's been in the wars, but uh, yeah, it's a great scooter. It looks good. It looks brilliant from 20 yards away. You get too close, though. Yeah. How, many, how many mirrors has it got on it? Do you know? I think it's got 18, 22, something like that. <laughs> and the lights and everything, yeah. And it's got the um, the whip things at the back with the, the foxtails on and stuff like that. I snuck a little Manchester City badge on it as well. Nice. But yeah, 1967 LI125 is. So the idea is he's going to Brighton for this Paul Weller gig. And takes a little detour to Woking as well, which is a lovely touch. There's a few little... What Universal Music said to us, look, you know, we'll work with you on this because Paul and, uh, and Nick and Nicky Weller has been so supportive to us. Uh, and Den Davis, uh, I don't know if you know Den. Curated the exhibition, the jam exhibition. Absolutely. So Den and Nick have been a fantastic support to the film. And then obviously Universal were dealing with us with the music and they said, you know, don't make it a massive homage to Paul. And we're like, okay, yeah, we won't, we won't. And they did rein it in a bit, but there are some subtle things in there. There's some jam lyrics and obviously finding the tickets. His dad was a big jam fan. Uh, we've not gone too far. It's not, it's not a sycophantic you know, love letter to Paul, but you know, the film is inspired by him and it's inspired by his music and the effect that that's had on me and my life. Cause similarly to John in the story, in our story, I was 15 when my dad died very suddenly. I was a jam fan at the time, you know, and I just immersed myself in the jams music, especially the angry stuff where well is at his spitting angriest. And that was like a support for me. And I could vent it in the bedroom, you know, ranting and raging on my own and stuff like that. We've tried not to go too far. And I think Paul's seen the film and he likes it. So well done. Well, yeah. And we talked about the support of the fans. So when that producer pulls out and you're left on your own, you turn to crowdfunding to, to yeah. the fans to kind of support you. So how did that come about? How did you get the idea and how did you make that work? I'd seen it on, on similar networks and I'd already done it for a film I made called Broken Glass, I think I raised three and a half thousand pounds to make a short film. And I thought, looking at the fan base, you know, and this is the brilliant thing about, you know, uh, social media, you know, it, it, there's a lot of downsides to it. But for, for mods, older mods and scooter boys and girls and fans of different bands, this, you know, it's, we can all come together in a network. And I thought, there's a real big audience out there. So I thought, I'll take the plunge, see if we can raise... 10 grand, go out and make a 20 minute promo and cut a trailer out of it and take it to Universal Pictures and, and Altitude and places like that and hopefully blow the socks off and say, this is what we've done. This is what the film will look like, you know, rather than just sending a script. And we did it and, you know, we raised, I think, eleven and a half thousand pounds very, very quickly. Which was brilliant, you know, and we gave away perks, badges, T-shirts, posters and stuff like that. Yeah, then we went out and shot it with some actor friends of mine, you know, and we did two days in Brighton, two days in Manchester. And I think up to date, I think it's had about 600,000 views, I think, over the years. 
So we knew we had something and we knew we had the fan base. So we built this package. You know, the, the love for the film has been absolutely brilliant. You know, there's a lot of people wanting to see it. It's not Quadrophenia 2. I know that The Sun ran a, a feature on it about 18 months ago saying Quadrophenia 2 is coming, the pebble in the bar. And I was just like, whoa. So we, we did a disclaimer on the Facebook page because it's not Quadrophenia. We don't go anywhere near Quadrophenia in it. There's one, one tiny, tiny mention of Quadrophenia and it's very much an if you know you know sort of thing I don't know if you can guess I didn't what notice it, it. no I'm now going to have to watch it again to, to figure it out <laughs> so the so R2 leads come out of the shop and they go down a certain alley in oh, Brighton okay. so there you go so that's the little oh. that was the only nod to Quadrophenia because what I didn't want was people to be turned off by the film and say you're just making Quadrophenia too." Because it's not. It's in a, a million miles away. It's set in the present day and it's reflective. It's looking back, you know, on what it was like for his dad and his dad's mates, you know, yeah. back back in the early 80s. The cast that you've got is fantastic as well. So you mentioned Patrick, Patrick McNamee, who's, who's John, the young kid. Sasha Parkinson's Nikki, is that right? Yes. She, she's fabulous she as well. Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah. Such an amazing actress. And that role that she plays, Nikki, she's just absolute scene stealer, isn't yeah. she? She's just wonderful. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's brilliant. You, and you can tell comic timing wise she's she's terrific and set for big things after this as well but you've yeah, also got um, Patsy Kenzie who's in the film but also associate producer and Manny yeah. from Stone Roses so how did that yeah. go? Yes when I first um, started researching the, researching the film I went down to Brighton in about 2010 2011 on my own for two days in a, in a B&B wandered around on the beach getting a feel for everything and I went in the um, famous mod shop jumped the gun in the, in the middle of Brighton they sell a lot of mod clothes as I walked in there was a couple of people in and they were going out and I got chatting to the to the owners and they said you know I'm making this film I've come down I'd love to film in here if I ever got it off the ground they were like yeah yeah absolutely you know the lovely people and then Manny walks in with his mate and he's like I told you to come down here I told you that I'd get here eventually and the, I won't swear but the guy behind the counter said FNL is it mank day in here today <laughs> so obviously me being a man Manny being a man we got chatting we shared a little changing room up at the back he was uh, trying on a two-tone suit I was trying on some shirts so I was like oh that looks nice and he was like oh that looks nice so we just got really chatting and I told him about the film and Manny said to me if you ever get it off the ground I'll be involved and 10 years later he walks on set and we did it you know oh, and wow. uh, he was just you know true to his word and he's so cool in that scene you know he's he's not an actor he's a rock and roll star but I think he does a good job I won't give anything away but it's a lovely little moment with him I have to say yeah really good (laughs) very cool and what about Patsy Kenzie how did she become involved Patsy's just a beautiful person wonderful actress so good to have on set you know Patsy was very gracious she knew it was a little film but you know she loved the style council she likes the era um, we got chatting and invited her to come down and um, Kate Planting our wonderful casting director sorted it out Patsy came up we went and did a fitting for some really nice 60s influenced mod clothes got on like a house on fire she agreed to come back came and worked with us with the Ronnie character her husband played by Ricky Harnett who uh, fans of uh, Rise of the Foot Soldier will uh, will know really really well she came down was just a delight great actress she knows her stuff and she plays a, a cougar in the film you know and poor John yeah <laughs> she almost gets claws into him <laughs> let's not give too much away no exactly and there's a, there's a twist in the middle which I didn't see coming as well which is always nice it kind of takes you off in a different direction to maybe the one you were expecting too the other yeah. thing we should touch on is the music so I mentioned the jam kicking things off very early on but they take this um 
do scooters off to Brighton and we're kicking to speak like a child. Solid bond yeah. in your heart. And there's also a lovely link to my guest from last week's podcast, Aziz Ibrahim and the track Middle Road. Tell me all about that. So first things first, Aziz Ibrahim is probably one of the coolest men in Britain. I, I know Aziz through a mutual friend. One day me and Aziz were chatting about the film and I was talking about Paul and, you know, needing to contact him. And Aziz says, well, I can, I can sort that out for you. And so Aziz gave me Claire's telephone number, Claire Moon being Paul's uh, assistant. And I rang her out the blue, told her what we were doing. She was lovely. She always has been. Sent her the promo. And then Aziz very kindly agreed to let us use his track, which is Middle Road, which is, I listen to it all the time, the extended version of it. So it's Aziz, Steve White, Paul Weller, and Manet, like a little super group. Yeah, um, and the, and the, the song is that Aziz wrote, you know, and they all got together and they jammed on it down at Black Barn Studios, I believe. And then Aziz said I could use it in the film, and I was like, oh, thank you very much. Oh, that's brilliant! What a great story. Aziz was brilliant, actually. I have to say on the podcast, what a lovely guy. We had such an amazing reaction to that one as well. We should also talk about the Pebble and the Boy. So the title of the film, taken from the track that is from the album um, As Is Now for the Paul Weller album, um, was that something that you always wanted to use as the title for the film? Yeah. Very much so. When I went to see Paul in Cork, I think I think he was touring that album at the time, and I'd listened to it a lot. Um, it, it was an emotional song for me because you know these references to a boy being a man on, and a boy and a man and a pebble, and it just reminded me of my relationship with my dad because my relationship with my dad was idyllic, you know, and I only knew him for fifteen years. Well, it was great. He was a truck driver. He used to set me all over the country in the summer holidays and stuff. And you know, and it's quite upsetting sometimes when you're writing and you get emotional and stuff like that. But then I knew that that was the title. You know, it's not a massively commercial title. You know, it's not the modern world. It's not smashing that mod thing in someone's faces. But I think it really works and people love the song and I love the song. Yeah, and I was really grateful when Paul said we could use it. No, it works really nice because the film to me is so so gentle as well. It's such a it's such a lovely story and a really heartwarming story that Thanks. you're right, the modern world or those kind of titles from other other Weller songs wouldn't work. I think it's perfect. And the Pebbles, obviously, Brighton Beach kicks in as well because they're still yet to import sand from anywhere from what I can work out. <laughs> yeah, you, you go to Brighton Beach and you think, oh, I'll shoot this scene of the, the lad and the girl walking hand in hand and you think it's going to be like Hawaii with waves lapping. But you can't walk on that beach. You know, it's a fight to get 10 yards so you can't shoot anything that's really romantic and, and sensual, you know. Or you can't do a, a from here from here to eternity scene with them lay on the beach and the, the waves lapping at the toes. <laughs> Just too uncomfortable. Yeah, that's always the bottom of the list. If we go, if we take the kids to the beach, I've got young young kids, six and four. Take the kids to the beach. That's the last. They don't want to go to that beach. <laughs> that beach is rubbish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, the music's great. The story's great. You mentioned North Lane and South Coast mods as well, who who turn up as extras. Are those competing factions? Are they different? Uh, they're obviously, they're different areas of the South Coast, but are they friends? I yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you who was in, which person was in what group, but they seem to be very much aligned and so lovely. There's a guy called Darren Hart, among others, who came down every day, you know, and we were a small budget film. We didn't have money for a scooter technician. And believe me, that scooter didn't want to start any day. Darren used to come in on his scooter from about, I think it was about an hour's ride in from where he lives. And he was on set every single day. And every time that that scooter broke down, he was on his hands and knees full of, and fixed it and got it running again. And he was also our stunt rider as well. So he's in it doing some of the stunts. So the, the ride down onto the beach, 
And all the high-speed stuff is, is a guy called Darren Hart, and he was just an absolute blessing, honestly, to have around. So those guys down there, Volks Bar, which, you know, is a bit of a mecca for mods, they were great. That was our unit base. We filmed out of there. You know, costume was in there. Makeup was in there. We ate in there. They really looked after us. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible that Paul has this influence over so... And obviously, the mod culture isn't just Paul Weller. It's important to say that, right? Um, but he does feel like he's such a big figurehead of that movement. He is, you know, when you online you see the argument, oh, Steve Marriott's the original mod father. Very, it may well have been. I just call him the governor. <laughs> For me, Weller's just the governor, you know. I don't call him the mod father because I think it's an affectionate title, but for me... You know, he's, he's, he's the man, so he's, he's, he's just always the governor for me because, you know, everything he does, he's just cool. I, I put a picture up on my Facebook the other day. Uh, Paul was in, in, in London last week with Mark Baxter and people like that, I think. He just had a white shirt on and uh, a, a grey a gray three button suit jacket. And, he, and I, just, I just put on my Facebook, find me a cooler 62-year-old and I will show my ass in Top Shop's window. <laughs> and, he, and he just there's a, did. There's a challenge. <laughs> I know, yeah. And people were coming back and saying, David Bowie. And I was like, yeah, living. Bowie was cool, but well as the cook, for me, the coolest man on the planet, you know. I sound like I'm fawning now, don't I? <laughs> Honestly, Paul, if I meet you at a screening, I won't be like this. <laughs> uh, but the music is still an important part of, of your lives and, and the lives Absolutely. of so many of us. Yeah. The guy just gets better and better. It's like a fine wine, isn't he? Just, you know, it's not snarling. It's not political. It's not anger. Well, there is an anger there, but it's a, it's a simmering anger and there's a beauty. And well, his last couple of albums reflect, uh, I think, a time and a sense of being of where he is now. And I think for us as well as 50 odd year olds and 60 odd year olds, a lot of us are like that and we appreciate it. But um, I was just listening to the album today. Shades of Blue, True, Glad Times. They're just phenomenal tracks, yeah, yeah. you know. As soon as I heard Gravity from the, um, which album is it on? Uh, True, True Meanings, yeah. I said to my wife, listen to this. She said, why? I said, that's my funeral song, love. When I go, don't forget, that needs to be played. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but he is, he's a big part of a lot of people's lives. Yours, Dan, you know, you, you've created a podcast and we all know why. <laughs> have I mentioned? Have I mentioned it? <laughs> and it's going to happen. The, the thing that's really interesting is the amount of people who are willing and, and able and happy to come on and, and chat. And the list of the amount of people who want to kind of, you know, are happy to come on is incredible. I don't know many Ooh. artists who, you, who'd be like that with, where people like, you know, just be like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about my love of that artist, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, we'd be, you know, at our age, we'd be embarrassed, but we still... We, you know, we think we're too old for that. You know, I don't, I wouldn't walk around with a, a football shirt with the name of a young footballer on the back. But, you know, I, well, I wouldn't do the same with Weller. But there is, he is a special, special guy, you know, and that's why we all love him. And that's why we're all still with him and still following him. And I must say, Weller's music features heavily in our, our film. And for a little film, I feel absolutely blessed to have got those tracks and from the support from Paul and Nicky and Den. But we've also got some other brilliant songs in there. We've got some new bands, there's Electric Stars which are a modern mod band Sammy Harris a singer-songwriter there's that beautiful scene where John is a montage on the pier by himself uh, Sammy Harris wrote that and we've got 
the chords and secret affair. Yeah. You know, just, oh, this, if you don't like the film, folks, you'll love the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> we should cut to the chase. When, when are people going to be able to see the movie? So August, you know, it, we keep saying it every year and then the pandemic hit and it put us back and we had to go back and reshoot stuff. Um, but it is 100% being released this August. I spoke to my producer before I came on and he was like, don't say too much. Don't commit to any dates because things will shift and change. And I said, well, people are waiting for it. You know, we need to sell. It's bank holiday in August. You know, it's a big mod bank holiday in August. So without saying too much, then yeah, digital release, DVD release uh, around the same time. And cinemas as well so we're going to be doing a bit of a tour around the country myself and you know if we go to cities where the cast are drag them in do some Q&A's and stuff like that oh, lovely, lovely. But, uh, definitely a screening in Brighton definitely a screening in Manchester and then we're going to we're going to take it on the road and hopefully fingers crossed people like it yeah. and don't expect quadrophenia that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, brilliant man I mean congratulations because that sounds like a hell of a journey to get to this point as well it has yeah it's been full on but you know and part of me just like wants it out there now get it out there let people watch it let them hopefully enjoy it you know and hopefully it ticks the boxes because I know there's a lot of people you know I get messages from Australia America Italy Japan when can we see this when's it coming and I'm just like you know and we've got our wonderful sponsors who supported us 80s casual classics provided all the clothes you know, all the, all the cool stuff, all the pretty green, the feeler and everything. And you'll see that these other, so the kids that he meets up with, that John meets up with, he meets up with Nicky and Max, Max being Patsy Kenzie's son. They both ride Scamadis. So Scamadi are modern versions of Lambrettas. Right. But without the hassle of having to kickstart them. So, you know, without them, without 80s casual classics and, and Scamadi, and we wouldn't have got the film made. So I need to make sure that there's a mention there. There's one thing I wrote down and I can't think for the life of me what it meant. And I've literally just put Sean Sexton, Weller fan. And I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Sean and his mate, Julian Clapton, ever since we, st- I didn't know them. They're from um, down Leicester way. Oh, Loughborough. And they came up and when we did the promo up in Manchester, they came up and, and DJed it for us. And we showed the promo to 200 people and they've both been massive supporters of the film. Julian has got a speaking part in the film. Sean pops up as an extra. I know that they went down to, to Woking, not last week, the week before. Neither of them mentioned it. And then there's, then there's, well, there's pictures of them sat on Weller's old Mercedes. I saw but, that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So Sean's mate, Sean and Julian's mate, bought that Mercedes. They went down to Woking a couple of weeks ago because Steve Carver, who's Paul's really, really good friend, Sustet, took them on a bit of a tour. And they ended up at Black Barn and meeting Paul. And sitting on the Merc with him with these really cool pictures. And I was like, what? No invite, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tufty's coming on the podcast. And I said to him, we should do an episode where he takes me on that same tour. That would be a really cool episode, wouldn't it? <laughs> I've met Steve once. We're friends on Facebook. Lovely, lovely guy. As is everyone who's associated with Paul. Yeah. Stone Foundation, Drew Hipson, who, who does the Icon magazines, Derek D'Souza, who does the photographs. We're all there just mixing about and just enjoying Weller for what he is, you know, and for as long as that lasts, which I hope is another 40 years. Fingers crossed, <laughs> fingers crossed, man. Hey, this has been so lovely, Chris. I have two final questions for you. You may know what's Absolutely. coming if you've listened to the podcast. Um, you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be The Jam, The Style Council or Solo. Which one's it going to be? Oh, wow. Uh, it would be Gravitzer. Yeah, definitely. You know, a few years ago, it'd have been something different. It'd have been Town Called Malice or Eating Rifles. But Gravity, for me, when he played it live from the Barbican, 
I cried. My 53-year-old man, I sat there, watched it, and I cried. It just just makes me feel so emotional, you know, and his voice on it is perfect. And I think the way it makes you feel is perfect. But that'd, that'd be the song for me. Good choice, good choice. And that song's been kicking around for a while, hasn't it? It was one of the one that he couldn't yeah. kind of find a home for until until the other songs from True Meanings came out of him and the other people that he worked with. But yeah, it's Absolutely. a lovely song. It's a lovely song. Oh, it's, 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 it's beautiful, beautiful. You know, there's so many songs that you could pick, but that one for me. I mean, Eating Rifles is my phone ringtone, but yeah, Gravity is something special. Yeah. <laughs> now, the purpose of this podcast not only is to talk about Paul with people like yourself and talk about people's you know amazing work, but it's obviously to be able to meet Paul to have that interview, that conversation that I never managed in my radio career. If and when it happens, what should I chat to him about? Is there a question you think I should ask? Wow. Wow. Uh, ooh, you've put me right on the spot there. <laughs> What's the one question you should ask Paul? Ah, yes, Paul. When is Chris Green going to direct your next video? That's what you should ask him, Dan. Because that's my ambition. You know, yours is to meet to meet Paul and do a podcast just like we're doing this now. My ambition is to direct a video for one of Paul's singles. Nice, nice. That's what you should ask him. That's a great one. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Very good question. Hey, Chris, good luck with the film. Um, well done once again. It's a fabulous piece of work, my friend. And thank you so much thank for joining me. Thank you for inviting me to come on. I really, really appreciate it, Dan. All the best to you, mate. My thanks once again to Chris Green, the Pebble and the Boys in cinemas from this Friday. You can find out more on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Pebble and the Boy. And if it's not on at your local cinema, then ask them why and get in touch. Next up on the podcast, this is another one of those episodes where I just have to pinch myself as I'm joined by the man who created the jam with Paul Weller back in the early 70s before leaving the band ahead of them signing their deal with Polydor. The magnificent Steve Brooks is my very special guest on the next episode. We'll hear about those early days of the best effing band in the world, his friendship with Paul Weller, and playing together live and on each other's albums in recent years. Plus exclusive news about Steve's new album that's out very soon, which features Paul and his bandmate Ben Gordelia. You're in for a real treat on the next episode, so make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review, and do share on social media. If you fancy it, you can also buy me a coffee and find information about my guests in the show notes for this podcast. Get in touch on Twitter, at WellerFanPod, or on Instagram and Facebook, it's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 